MPB Think Radio. This is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning we'll talk about some potential legal issues related to the holidays. Can employers stop someone from decorating their office based on their religion? If you work for a private employer, is it mandatory or optional for employees to get holidays off? Also, since this is the time of year for wish lists, listeners who want to know what your wish list would be for changes to laws in the coming year. What laws would you like to see put in place in 2017? Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING with any questions or comments you may have. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning, we're going to be talking about some potential issues related to the holidays. Can an employer stop someone from decorating their office based on their religion? If you work for a private employer, is it mandatory or optional for employees to get holidays off? Also, since this is the time of year for wish lists, listeners, we want to know what your wish lists would be for changes to the laws in the coming year. So what laws would you like to see put in place in 2017? We figured it would be kind of fun to get your thoughts and opinions. So you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. Have you been dealing with any holiday legal issues that you'd like to talk about? You can call us at 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. How are you? Doing great, Sharita. Good morning. I hope you're doing well and uh, looking forward to the show. It'll be interesting to see what uh, hopefully the listeners have in mind in terms of uh, changes to the law. Yes, and you have some interesting uh, proposals as well as far as laws that you want to incorporate, and we're going to get to those as well. So that's uh, going to be pretty funny. Um, But I guess one thing that that has kind of been on my mind and something that I've been noticing is um, when you're the difference between saying Happy Holidays and Merry Christmas. Uh, That seems to be something that lots of people are cautious of and cognizant of these days uh, because it used to just be that you said Merry Christmas and it was the norm and there was no questioning it. But now um, in stores especially, I'm hearing a lot more people say Happy Holidays. And I don't have a problem with it, but it's confusing me too because I don't know whether to say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays uh, for, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. But um, what are your thoughts on that? Like especially in major stores, uh, I see the, the employees employees are saying happy holidays as opposed to Merry Christmas. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that e- even a legal matter? It's not a legal matter. It's a matter of really just uh, human civility and how we treat each other. You know, um, I don't celebrate Christmas, but if someone wishes me Merry Christmas, I will wish them Merry Christmas back. I really don't have any problem with that. I think, you know, all of those greetings are nice. If you're telling somebody happy, happiness, be happy, happy holidays, happy, happy life, you know, happy journey, whatever you say to someone that you're wishing them well is not, not a bad thing. So maybe in the, in the spirit of the season, uh, we all ought to just be a little more uh, understanding and accepting of each other. So, you know, I, I don't really, somebody says happy holidays to me, they're wishing me well. If somebody says Merry Christmas to me, they're wishing me well. You know, it's all, it's all part of uh, uh, just human kindness, and it's, none, none of it's bad, in my opinion. 
Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that uh, we're going to talk about is uh, some of the issues related to the holidays that, that kind of tie in with the law, um, or it may just be a kind of up to personal preference. Uh, but we can start with decorations. Uh, so when it comes to employees and religions in different companies, I know things differ depending on if a company is public or private. Uh, but when it comes to holiday decorations, uh, is it legal? Is it OK for an employee, no matter what their religion is, to observe uh, their particular uh, religious holiday with decorations in an office setting? The answer is typically yes, Reed, although that's up, you know, private employers can say we're not having decorations or you can't decorate your office uh, anyway. You can't put, per, you know, your personal pictures up if I don't want you to do it if I'm a private employer. So, you know, it, beyond just uh, uh, holiday decorations, that's really truly up to the private employer uh, and the employer in general. Uh, you know, certainly the University of Mississippi could say, hey, we don't want you to uh, put any personal items in your office. Uh, you know, we fortunately don't do that. But, um, you know, so that I think falls in the same general idea is that, you know, uh, decorating your office. Typically, though, employers should accommodate uh, someone's religious belief. They certainly can't uh, treat their employees differently based on their religious beliefs. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the legal answer is that you could, that employers should make uh, reasonable accommodations for their employees in terms of their religions, as long as they don't cause any undue hardship to the employer. Mm -hmm. And and I'm curious about this idea of uh, undue hardship. I know there are lots of things that kind of fall under that category. So what do you mean when you say undue hardship? Well, for example, if someone wanted to wear uh, a traditional, um, uh, you know, something on their head to, to reflect their religious beliefs, uh, a lot of people do wear uh, things on, you know, to cover their heads for uh, various religions. And an employer may say, well, we, you know, we don't allow head coverings. Uh, uh, the employer should accommodate uh, that uh, employee, provided that, you know, that doesn't cost the employer more in uh, administrative cost or it doesn't infringe on other staff members', members benefits or rights for that employee to, to express their religion or uh, it doesn't conflict with other laws or regulations. You know, that might be if, if my religion says I, should, I need to smoke uh, peyote, uh, you know, I, I, then that would violate other laws or restrictions in, in my office and my employer could ban me from doing that. Uh, if it causes job inefficiencies or could uh, potentially impact worker safety or cause other employees to, to carry a burdensome workload. So, you know, typically wearing something on someone's head is a, a sign of respect for their religion won't do any of those things, but, you know, if you, if you work in, in an environment where maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, there, there could cause an extra danger, I suppose, an employer could refuse to, to make that accommodation. But typically those things will not add extra cost or infringe on anybody else's rights. All right. If you're listening this morning and you want to join the conversation, you sure can. This morning uh, we're talking about some issues, potential legal issues related to the holidays. Uh, let us know. Do you have an issue with someone uh, of a different religious observance decorating their office the way they want to? You can give us a call. Also, we're asking what are your wish lists when it comes to laws? What laws would you like to see put in place in 2017? Uh, you can think about that. And give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Um, so 
Professor Gershon, there are a lot of things um, that people have to think about when doing holiday parties. And one thing that I didn't really think about was the decision to call it a holiday celebration as opposed to a Christmas party. Now, that's probably just personal preference, right? But that is actually uh, a recommendation for an employer to not call it a Christmas party or a Christmas luncheon, but to call it a holiday celebration to kind of be inclusive of everyone. Well, you know, Shreed, I tell my, my students, you know, when you come to law school, don't lose your common sense. You know, and a lot of these solutions really are common sense solutions. If, if I am an employer and all of my employees uh, celebrate Christmas, you know, then, you know, I, there's really no reason not to call it a Christmas party. Mm-hmm. If you're at a, a place like the University of Mississippi, where we, we really do have uh, students from various religions, various, various countries, various religions, various cultural backgrounds, uh, some don't have religions at all, which is also, you know, something that our Constitution allows. Uh, you know, to be inclusive is simply to say, hey, we, you know, we recognize we have a broader community of people. And so saying happy holidays is, you know, a, a way to be more inclusive. It's not telling somebody not to celebrate Christmas. Uh, we have a Christmas tree at the University of Mississippi that we, that, you know, we light traditionally. There's a Christmas tree in the law school. You know, those are symbols of the season, and while I, I don't personally have one of those in my house, uh, it, you know, that, you know, those are things that we can all agree, you know, are not uh, things to get too upset about. Uh, you know, when, when people, uh, the holiday party, well, we hosted the, holiday, the law school holiday party at our house, and since we don't celebrate Christmas, we called it a holiday party. But, you know, if somebody else wanted to call it a Christmas party at their house, I think they'd be, it would be perfectly appropriate for them to do that. Um, you know, again, uh, that's really up to the individual. And what we let's just all be considerate of each other this time of year. Yeah. And another thing to note is, is it mandatory for employees to go to these holiday parties? Like employers can't say, oh, you're going to be punished in some way if you don't attend the holiday party. You know, I have to say that depends, you know, uh, oh. because if, if you're expected to work at the holiday party, if the holiday party is a party where you have you're inviting the firm's clients or you're inviting uh, the company's uh, uh, customers to, to be at the party, then an employer may say, hey, we expect our employees to be there because this is a work event. But t- the typical holiday party that is just one that just for fun and just a, really a, a nice uh, way for everybody in the office to get together and, and have a drink together if that's what they want to do or socialize, those are not mandatory typically. Mm, okay. Uh, we're going to go to the phones. Uh, Valerie is in Ridgeland. Good morning, Valerie. What do you have for us today? Hello. Hi, Valerie. You're on the air. Yes, I had a... Two comments about laws I'd like to see changed. Okay. Uh, one is I'd like to see gun legislation laws, and number two, I'd like to see a state law change, uh, not enacted in uh, HB fifteen twenty three. Okay. Um, is is there something particular with the gun legislation law that you wanted? Uh, that could be a long conversation, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you know some. Some gun legislation laws. Okay, some moment. gun legislation laws and force. Going back to where we did not have those uh, high-powered rifles, you know, we used to, uh, used to be a national law uh, to not allow those to be out on the street. So we could at least start there. Okay, and then the other was that uh, House Bill fifteen twenty three would not be enacted. Yeah, you know, currently it's not a law. You know, it was 
uh, struck down by the court. So I would like to see that to stay that way. Okay. All right. Uh, good thoughts, okay. Valerie. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll discuss that a little You're bit. Welcome. All right. Appreciate your call. Okay, so uh, Professor Gershon, gun legislation, uh, one thing she mentioned was no high-powered rifles. Um, And I mean, I don't know, me being in the military and going to basic training and doing a few weeks of uh, intense um, gun gun range activities, I would not want an M16 rifle in my home. (laughs) To me, uh, it's a weapon that that is a little bit too powerful for me to have in my home. But some people hunt. uh, Some people have... Uh, you know, like a, a liking toward guns and they collect them. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that, this this potential that there could be more regulation on the types of guns that people own? Well, you know, that was something actually Ronald Reagan uh, said that, uh, that we really, you know, the, the Second Amendment really does protect hunters. It protects people uh, to have some protection in their home. But uh, that he did not believe we should be allowed to have things, semi-automatic weapons and, and more powerful weapons like an M16, for example. Uh, and so, you know, that that's a conversation we we should have. I think what happens is we, we're so divided in this country now, we're not even having the conversation. Uh, and, and, you know, back in the day, it was actually the NRA and Ronald Reagan who supported some of those restrictions. So, you know, we've come a long way uh, from that. Uh, Valerie mentioned House Bill 1523. I think it's interesting that uh, North Carolina had House Bill 2, a similar bill that uh, – uh, uh, actually cost them a lot of money. The NCAA would not host uh, uh, championship events in North Carolina because of House Bill 2, two mm-hmm. which is very similar to House Bill 1523. Their new governor, they just uh, uh, elected a new governor who said, yeah, we're getting rid of House Bill 2. Uh, you know, our, ti- our, uh, our um, time of hate is over, is, uh, is the way he put it. So, you know, I think there are a lot of people who look at House Bill 1523 as something that actually keeps business away from Mississippi. Uh, I know that my daughters play plays in, in, in the high school. They've been restricted on the on the plays they can use because there are a lot of companies that will not sell them the rights to use uh, uh, plays uh, because of House Bill 1523. So, you know, it has an impact that, that I don't even think people realize. Uh, there, I think there are a lot of people like Valerie who would love to see it disappear. Yeah, there were even some filmmakers uh, protesting the state and saying that they weren't going to make any more films here until the uh, the bill was dealt with. So it has definitely uh, caused some 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 consequences. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, uh, we'll continue the conversation. We'd love for you to join the conversation, listeners. Uh, since this is the time of year for wish lists, listeners, we want to know what your wish list would be for changes to the laws in the coming year or years. What laws would you like to see put in place in 2017? If you have any comments on uh, anyone else's laws that are proposed like valerie thinks there should be more gun legislation on high-powered rifles you can give us a call at 877 mpb ring with your questions or comments also if you've been dealing with any legal issues during the holidays in particular give us a call 877-672-7464 is the number currently all our lines are open that's 877 mpb ring or email legal terms at mpbonline.org this is think radio
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning we're talking about some potential legal issues related to the holidays. Can an employer stop someone from decorating their office based on their religion? If you work for a private employer, is it mandatory or optional for employees to get holidays off? If you are experiencing any kind of holiday legal issues, you want to give us a call, you can. Or if you have any comments or questions about anything, 877-MPB-RING is the number. Also, we want to know your wish list for laws for the coming year. What laws would you like to see put in place in 2017? I know that is a wide open question, but we'd love to hear your thoughts. 877-672-7464 is the number. That's 877-MPB-RING, or you can email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Um, so, uh, Professor Gershon, while we were talking about uh, some of the holiday legal issues, uh, what do you think about um, kind of Republishing now. This is a, is a suggestion. It says republish your sexual harassment policy before the holiday party, making it clear that harassment will not be tolerated. And I imagine that that was a suggestion because alcohol is involved, and you know sometimes when alcohol is in people's systems, they have a tendency to act a little differently. So, uh, what do you think about that uh, kind of reinforcing the sexual harassment policy? I think it's a great idea. Um, a lot of universities, including ours, have, have mandatory training that we take on, on those issues, uh, you know. And so it's just, a, again, common sense, you know. I mean, really, a lot of legal problems are really uh, problems and people not acting with common sense. You know, when, when people drink, their inhibitions uh, are reduced, but that does not remove from them the, uh, the responsibility to act in a reasonable way. And right. so uh, we need to, yeah, I think it's a great idea to, to publish those at the holiday time. Uh, and, uh, and you know, one of the questions you had was whether uh, employers have to give employees time off on the holidays. Mm-hmm. And the surprising answer to that is no, uh, they don't. Um, and is that, that the difference between the public and private employer? It is. If you work for the federal government or, or for state governments, you're going to get those federal and state holidays off. But a private employer can can make other decisions. Now, you know, again, where common sense comes in, uh, you know, doctors, for example, and police officers and firefighters, we want them on duty uh, even over the holidays. Uh, what I think is nice in a lot of communities is, is something where I know my brother, for example, uh, would work on Christmas Eve and Christmas uh, as a doctor so that his Christian friends wouldn't have to work on those days. Mm. And then, you know, they would trade off, and our holidays tend to be in the fall, uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the New Year, and Yom Kippur, which is our Day of Atonement, are days that we're not supposed to work. So, my, you know, my brother's Christian friends would, would work for him on those days. And, and, you know, that seems to work for everybody, uh, you know, and uh, it's, it's a nice thing to do. People volunteer, people who don't celebrate Christmas volunteer to help out uh, in uh, – in places like, uh, you know, fire stations and things like that where they can. They're not going to put out fires, but they can uh, answer calls, things like that. So we can all uh, use these holidays to be kinder to each other and help each other out. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I have a couple calls to get to. Wanda is in Pontotoc uh, with uh, laws that need to be changed. Suggestion, good morning, Wanda. What do you have for us today? Hey, 
I have three laws that I would like to be enacted. Okay. One of them has been mentioned. Uh, I would like House Bill 1523 uh, obliterated. I would like our state flag to be changed to the bicentennial flag. Hmm. And I would like our adequate education program to be totally fully funded. Those are my three laws. Okay. Education program fully funded. All right, uh, Wanda, so we're going to talk about those for a second. Um, so the state flag to the bicentennial flag, Professor Gershon, what are the odds that that could happen? I, I don't even know what's the update on the state flag other than it has not been changed. Well, it hasn't been changed, but there's a lot of, I think, a lot of momentum behind the bicentennial flag. We are celebrating our state's bicentennial. There's, you know, there's a flag that uh, has uh, been flying. We, we're flying the bicentennial flag at the university. Uh, you know, that's a flag we can all get behind and, and support uh, as opposed to a flag that may be more divisive. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that hope that that, that may be the impetus to make, to make the change. Uh, so would, it, would that, it come down to a vote of the people or for a decision of the uh, government officials? Who's going to make the decision? Well, that's a, that's a great question. And really, uh, either one, uh, um, you know, the, there was a vote of the people, uh, you know, 15 or so years ago. Uh, that didn't change the flag, but it, that but that could be initiated by the state legislature or or by the governor to change the flag. And uh, and there are there are studies that show that that uh, there are businesses that are reluctant to come uh, and 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 be here and and hire people here uh, because of the flag. So it has done some economic uh, damage to us. And you know it's just something we need to really think about. Uh, and uh, in terms of funding education, well. I have a daughter who's going to be an elementary school teacher. I am a big believer in public education and uh, would love to see our education system adequately funded. All right. Um, I'm going to go back to the phones. Christopher is in Gulfport with his Christmas wish. Good morning, Christopher. What do you have for us? Hi, Christopher. You're on the air. Uh, yes, I have several wishes. Uh, the first wish would be to overturn Citizens United. And connected to that would be uh, to establish campaign finance reform. I think that uh, a constitutional amendment doing that might be the the ticket. But uh, that's basically it. And and if those things happen, I believe that we, the people, would uh, would welcome that. Okay. All right. That's your, your only wish, Christopher? Yes. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Uh, uh, All right, Professor Gertrude, you're going to have to uh, fill us in because I'm not completely uh, familiar with Citizens United. I've heard of it, but not familiar with what it is. Well, that's, it's a great call, and we, Christopher. And yeah, really, I, I kind of the, the callers this morning. I wish they were running in the state and the country, basically, <laughs> basically because uh, you know they have some good ideas and they really they're thinking about uh, laws that uh, we should change. One, uh, Citizens United, really was a decision by the United States Supreme Court that um, corporations are people for purposes of campaign financing and, and making donations. And, and the, the real issue with that then is that uh, corporations can give lots of money to uh, campaigns uh, pretty much anonymously. We really don't know who the, who the actual money behind those corporations is all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's a way it, – there's been a lot of influence in, uh, in campaigns because of – the, res- the result of Citizens United. And and so, for example, even in Mississippi, there's a lot of out-of-state money that comes in from out-of-state corporations, 
that gets involved in campaigns here. And, you know, it used to be that, that uh, donations were made by individuals who, uh, uh, you know, were accountable for their donations to, to uh, uh, campaigns. Uh, typically, you do not have people trying to influence uh, campaigns in other states, but uh, Citizens United has certainly affected uh, elections in this country, uh, in my opinion, in a negative way, and it sounds like Christopher feels that way as well. He mentioned campaign finance reform, which was which along the same lines. It's just to look at the kind of money that goes into political campaigns in this country and where that money comes from. And, you know, the, the idea behind a grassroots uh, campaign where you, you go out and you meet with people and they support your your candidacy and, and uh, you know, support you as a candidate as opposed to some, some big uh, corporation, uh, you know, d- dumping a bunch of money on a campaign. You know, and it also means that the ads from those campaigns can be really, really nasty because, you know, there's not, not often a lot of accountability when a corporation puts out an ad that's negative about a candidate, even though some of the things they say may not be true, uh, you know, it, uh, you know, a lot of that, that's, that's something we really need to look at uh, mm-hmm. in this country in terms of how that money is being uh, used in these campaigns. All right. Uh, we'd love to have you join the conversation this morning. Uh, we have Max in Jackson uh, who wants to talk about laws he wants changed. Uh, listeners, we are asking for your wish list. What laws would you like to see put in place in 2017? If you had a wish, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. If you want to comment on any of the other laws that have been proposed already, gun legislation, uh, more restrictions on high-powered rifles, uh, let's see, uh, 1523, House Bill 15. 23 not enacted the state flag uh going away and the bicentennial uh flag coming into play or education being fully funded if you have any agreements or disagreements with those or your own two cents you can call us at 877 mpb ring that's 877-672-7464 or email legal terms at mpbonline.org before we go to the break we have max and jackson good morning max uh, what laws would you like to see changed uh, I would like to see a law passed that would allow victims of credible sexual abuse as children to have a window of opportunity to uh, sue in the civil court to have their cases heard. Uh, there is no statute of limitations, but there were several individuals that have filed suits and were locked out because of statute of limitations. Uh, so you would rather there be no statute of limitations? There are no statute of limitations at this time. That bill, mm-hmm. that got changed. But people, there are people who, because of delayed uh, you know, recognition of their abuse, were locked out and had their cases dismissed because mm-hmm. of statute of limitations. And many states across the country have enacted a window a three-year period, a two-year period for, for these people to come forward and get their day in court. And that's what I would wish for. Thank you. Okay, Max, that's very, very interesting. Thank you for that call. We appreciate it. Uh, Professor Gershon, what are your thoughts? Max, it's a, that sounds like a great idea. And, uh, you know, certainly, um, when, especially where children are involved, a lot of times they don't come forward until, until later. Uh, and uh, especially those children who were in the in a position where there was a statute of limitations and then and later was removed and they are banned, uh, you know, to give them the opportunity uh, to, to seek justice uh, and, and some damages, I think, would not be 
a bad thing at all. And again, I'm I'm so impressed with all the all the listeners who have called in this morning. I I, I, I want to want to elect each of you uh, to the legislature. Yeah, you know, that's such a divisive issue. Um, people feeling a certain way about folks not coming forward immediately about sexual abuse. But I can imagine that that would be something really hard. And that sometimes it may take one person to come forward for you to get the courage. So I do believe that those things have to be legislated, because if it were left up to the people, many people don't don't feel like, OK, well, if you waited 20 years to come forward, then you shouldn't have uh, the right to, you know, come back and try to seek some Kind of justice, and I, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, you know, it's uh, it. Well, part of, you know, when we think about statutes of limitations in general, they they do serve a purpose. So I do want to I do want to say that, and that is, it's also we've got to think about fairness to the defendant. And um, you know, if something has been a really really long time before somebody brings a lawsuit, it's going to be very hard for the defendant to gather evidence and and uh, you know to to get justice as well because you know in yeah, our especially like our D- system, DNA evidence and stuff. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So it makes you know that, that, that you know that it, statutes of limitations are set you know a way to say hey you know you've got a certain period of time to bring this action, uh, and if you don't, uh, even though you might have had a case, um, your time barred just out of fairness. But I think Max's point is maybe there's some. Sometimes we have we want to make exceptions to that. Um, well, by the that, way, I that's want to a really good some- point too, Dean, to bring up about the the fairness to the defendant because you know sexual abuse can be so emotional that nobody ever thinks about the defendant at all. You know, it's just uh, the victim uh, is the victim. So that's an interesting point that you bring up about fairness to the defendant. I don't think many of us even consider that. Well, that's that's really why we have our legal system the way we do. Is we you know people are it's up to the plaintiff to to prove. Uh, that they've been harmed. It's up to the state to prove that a criminal defendant uh, is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And so we have presumptions in favor of people who are accused of torts and also accused of crimes. All right. We need to take a break. When we get back, we have a few calls online. Mary, uh, Bruce, and Elliot, hold on just a moment. We'll get to you guys in a second. We are talking about uh, your wish list. What laws would you like to see put in place in 2017? If you had your wish, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. Additionally, if you've been having any kind of legal issues during the holidays that you have some questions or comments about, you can call us at 877-672-7464. We do have some lines open. You can also send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brett here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning we've been talking about some potential legal issues related to the holidays. But also, listeners, what laws would you like to see put in place in 2017? What are your legal wish lists for 2017? You can call us at 877-MPB-RING to join the conversation. If you agree or disagree with any that you've heard already, gun legislation on high-powered rifles, uh, the um, obliteration of House Bill 1523, the state flag going to the bicentennial flag or education being fully funded. Those are some of the proposed laws we've had already, and we have more to get to. Uh, really quickly, I want to read an email from Don, Professor Gershon. I would love to see a beefier, fully enforced animal protection law to require that domestic of all kinds must be provided with housing. Domestic animals of all kinds must be provided with housing that truly protects them from inclement weather and with fresh water daily. Food adequate to provide the caloric needs of the animals at whatever stage of life that they're in. For example, pregnant and lactating animals need far more calories than animals not in those states. So no unattended chaining and felonies for the first incident of savage treatment or neglect. Okay. So that's uh, from Don in our email. Well, that's a, you know, Don, that's a great point. I know we have a students uh, group here that uh, very interested in animal rights and, uh, you know, that would certainly be in that spectrum. Uh, the other thing that they, they look at is, uh, you know, the testing of uh, 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 medical procedures on live animals and things like that and trying mm. to get those uh, stopped. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, animals uh, share the world with us, and uh, and certainly those of us who take on pets, it happens to be my, my dog's eighth birthday today. And I can guarantee you she gets all the nutrition she needs and all the, the ha- housing she needs, but that's not true for every animal. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, just again, how we treat our fellow creatures says a lot about us as human beings. That's right. Some calls to get to. We go first to Mary in Braxton. Good morning, Mary. What do you have for us? Uh, Hi, Mary. Hi, you're on the air. Yeah. Uh, Happy whatever day you are uh, (laughs) celebrating. Uh, I'm interested in the fact that uh, the Electric College keeps us from having truly one person one vote and i don't know how it can be changed because it's got to be changed by the people in charge and it just is such to me it's very unfair that there's for two million people who obviously know that their, their vote didn't count uh, Mary, you bring up a very good point. Uh, the Electoral College has been a huge conversation, uh, especially with this election and Hillary Clinton winning the popular vote and then uh, Donald Trump winning the electoral votes. So, uh, uh, Professor Gershon, any thoughts on that? I have seen some states, I believe, moving to remove the Electoral College. Uh, what are your thoughts on that possibility in the future? Well, that would probably take a constitutional amendment. Uh, and so it could certainly happen. And there are a lot of people, I think, after this election that, you know, the the, uh, the Bush versus Gore election uh, was a, a difference in uh, popular vote uh, for Gore, but also but then uh, electoral vote for Bush. Uh, you know, so I think we're starting to see that happen. It's happened about five times in history, um, and you know that raises some concerns. And that's where we, as as uh, a society, can look at our constitution and decide whether the electoral electoral college really works anymore, and, and whether we should just go to uh, popular vote. 
All right, Mary, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that one, uh, are you, do you believe that the Electoral College should be done away with or, and uh, the popular vote should be considered supreme? Call us 877-MPB-RING. In addition, what laws would you like to see put in place? What are your legal w- li- wish lists? <laughs> 877-672-7464 is the number. Or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Elliot is in Hattiesburg with a proposed constitutional amendment. Good morning, Elliot. What do you have for us today? Hi. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Doing great. Good, good. My wish would be that all industry uh, would be carbon neutral. That if you put out pollution to the air, that you would have to do something to sequester it, including paying for it, right? That you would not externalize the cost of pollution onto the rest of the public who uh, do not benefit from the pollution, including climate change, which is the most serious issue of our time that we've been ignoring. So if I had my wish, it'd be carbon neutrality. And uh, if you pollute, you pay. Thank you. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, interesting, Elliot. That's an interesting proposal. Uh, Professor Gershon, what do you think about that one? Carbon neutrality. Well, Elliot's another person I want to vote for. I think, uh, yeah, thank you for your call, Elliot. That is a great comment. You know, it comes down to if a company is making money off of what it does, uh, but it's harming uh, its neighbors through pollution, et cetera, then it ought to bear the cost of that harm. And, and that's really all we're really saying. Uh, and, uh, and I think that that uh, is a, a really good proposal. It's a way to say, hey, you know, you, you have to somehow or another – balance out your pollution by, uh, you know, as, as Elliot more art, artfully said it, uh, being carbon neutral. All right. Uh, Bruce is in Oxford and has a proposal for a law change. Good morning, Bruce. What do you have for us this morning? Uh, yes, good morning, and uh, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'd like to comment on is the proposed, if it's not proposed to be proposed, legislation of the leadership in the House and Senate to increase the state sales tax to 7%. And I'm very much opposed to this. I hope other people are. I think it's another example of regressive taxation in Mississippi when we have large corporations, businesses, industries getting huge tax cuts, tax breaks, tax incentives, et cetera. And to make up a budget shortfall, the state has to revert back to taxing more and working class and poor people of the state of Mississippi. I think they're already overtaxed now. So that's that's my wish list. All right. And, uh, Professor Gershon, this is your area of uh, dealing with taxes. So what are your thoughts on Bruce's comments? Well, I really appreciate Bruce's comments. And, yeah, you got my vote, too, Bruce. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think, uh, you know, sales taxes are certainly uh, the, the state needs to raise revenue. Uh, and we all understand that. They need to be able to support things like education and we want them to be able to do that. But uh, the sales tax is a regressive tax because the less income someone has, the more that 7% of, you know, when they buy something is of their total income. And, and so we really are taxing at a higher level poorer people, uh, working class people, by, by increasing the sales tax. And, and Bruce mentioned the, uh, the, the businesses. We give huge incentives in the state to companies to come in and employ, uh, you know, which is good, that part's good, but they don't pay taxes. And, in fact, really, the uh, employment taxes they collect, the Social Security taxes they collect from their employees, 
go back to the company. The state actually uh, allows those to, for the state side of it, to go back to the company. And so, um, you know, what ends up happening was we're, we're subsidizing those companies but then charging uh, a higher percentage uh, to working-class people of, of their income uh, with a higher sales tax. All right, Bruce, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. And uh, since we're talking about taxes, uh, Professor Gershon, you have um, a law that you would like to incorporate, enforce, and enact, however you say it, uh, and it deals with a national lottery based on a taxpayer's tax return. I think it's very interesting. Uh, do you care to share? I will share it, but, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to share it because these <laughs> other ideas the callers have had have been so good. And mine is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but the idea is that, you know, we, we talk about tax reform, and, and uh, you know, that'll be a conversation in Congress again as we go forward. But it seems like every year we talk about tax reform. And one of the concerns is that people are not um, uh, being honest on their tax returns. So I have an idea. People like lotteries. Uh, let's have everyone who files a tax return can pay an extra dollar uh, on their taxes, Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and that puts their Social Security na- number into a, uh, a lottery system. And, you know, maybe they can win a million dollars. You know, I don't know what the amount would be, really. It depends on how much money the government collects uh, extra for the lottery. But the deal is you cannot win that money if, you're, if your return is inaccurate and you've underpaid. So, you know, your return, the winners will automatically be audited, and if their return's show they underpaid their taxes and they lose that money. So maybe it would mean that people would actually uh, be more willing to comply and be honest on their tax returns if they thought there was a possible return on the other end. Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> that's a, that's, that one's, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I, and that's, you know, again, a little bit tongue in cheek, but you know, we do, people do like lotteries. So I thought, well, maybe that would be something worth having. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely do it. Sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, we have a couple calls on the line. We're going to go first to Betty, who's in Laurel uh, with a law change surrounding voting. Good morning, Betty. What do you have for us? I would like to see legislation that requires publication of a voter's pamphlet. So okay. that we have uh, balanced information about what the law actually will say. We have information on the candidate's. Um, before we see their name on the ballot and have no idea who they are. That's very interesting, Betty. Uh, uh, During the the voting process earlier, some months ago, my grandmother was uh, going to vote, and she said she had never seen the names of some people on the ballot, didn't know anything about them, and so it was almost like she was just going to be, you know, it was just going to be a coin toss about who she voted for. I actually think that is an awesome idea, so voters will be informed going to the booths. or to the polls. Uh, Professor Gershon, what do you think about that? Well, I think the greatest power we have as citizens is is our right to vote. Uh, and uh, if we're uninformed in exercising that right to vote, we don't really have full rights. And uh, so Betty's point is very, very important. There are organizations that try to provide us with that information. And uh, But, you know, it would be the more information we can have about the candidates, the more information we can have about initiatives that are on the ballot, uh, the better off we'd all be and uh, and the better able to exercise our rights as citizens. 
All right, Betty, thank you so much for your call. And uh, if you're listening this morning and you uh, have a wish list for laws that you'd like to see put in place in 2017, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 877-MPB-RING. And if you have any comments on any of the other laws that have been proposed today, gun legislation on high-powered rifles, carbon neutrality, uh, the, the current state flag going to the bicentennial flag, having education fully funded, those are just some of the things that have been mentioned today. Um, doing away with the Electoral College and just using the popular vote. 877-672-7464 is the number if you want to join the conversation or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're going to stay on the phones. Roger is in Florence with a law change. Good morning, Roger. What do you have for us? <clears throat> Concerning Medicaid, the legislature claims to be really concerned about reducing the in ever-increasing cost of Medicaid, but nobody ever does anything about what I've written about repeatedly and extensively. The fact that wealthy people with many assets, land, CDs, money in the bank, SUVs, luxury cars, houses, cash, become poor with the help of attorneys. I'm an attorney, and I have good friends who do this, but I think it's simple. They become poor. You can become poor, you see. You're not really poor. You put your money in a trust, and then you control the trust. You enjoy all the benefits of the trust, and so you're not really poor. But in the eyes of the Medicaid law, you are poor. Medicaid was intended for the poor. It is now misused, and we should change that law. Uh, there's a, it's a lot more that could be said you know, about that. But I would like to see the state do its best first to pass a state law limiting the right of Mississippi citizens to make themselves poor in order to qualify for Medicaid because it's adding to our Medicaid roles people who really have assets. They're not poor. We don't need to add those people. And then, of course, uh, what needs to be done is the federal law and rules need to be changed so that you don't just look back five years uh, to see what your assets were at that time. If you ever had assets, then you've got, you should have personal responsibility to do something about your old age and not make me and you folks, the taxpayers, pay your medical expenses. We should have a law to change the Medicaid look-back provision that allows rich people to become, quote, poor, unpoor. This is Roger, and that's my comment. I'm going to hang up and listen to whatever you've got to say. All right, Roger. Thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, Professor Gershon, any thoughts? Well, Judge, I wish Rick Courtney was here with me uh, to, <laughs> to, to respond. Uh, but, you know, I think uh, one, one thing we can look at, and I think we can definitely agree about, is the idea that, that we need to consider health care reform in this country generally. Um, you know, the Affordable Care Act, I've, I've always been a supporter of it, but it's not a perfect law. It's not a perfect law. Obamacare, you know, as other people call it, but it's not. Perfect to me. One of my proposals, Sharita. One of my my things that I would put forward would be uh, to you know look at wealthy companies who who cause uh, harm to health in our society. And those I, I you know people who make sugary soft drinks make a lot of money on those sugary soft drinks. Now, the one way to do that then would be whatever they pay in advertising to, to advertise their sugary soft drinks has to go uh, into a fund for health care, for Medicaid, for Medicare. Uh, to, to make sure that those funds are available because if they're going to cause uh, major health concerns through diabetes and obesity with their product, if they're advertising them, if they're pushing them out there where kids can see them, 
certainly they're right, and they ought to have some responsibility to, to you know, pay for some of the, the, the downside, much like cigarette companies did. That's really, you know, the whole lawsuit against cigarette companies but, uh, brought by Attorney General Mike Moore was really about public health. All right. That was a good suggestion. Uh, we have a couple more to get to. We're going to try to squeeze in really quickly. Bob is in Jackson. Good morning, Bob. What do you have for us today? Hello. Hello, Bob. You're on the air. I propose that uh, national and local legislators be bound by the laws they pass. Hmm. Okay. All right. All right. That's it. Thank you, Bob. That'll do it. Thanks. All right. That's interesting. Uh, Professor Gershon, any thoughts on that one? Well, you know, certainly they should be. I think, you know, one of the the laws you might be talking about would be certain uh, members of Congress that don't have to abide by, for example, Social Security laws, et cetera. Um, I, if, I read, if I read that properly, and, you know, we ought to look, you know, if we're going to enact laws for the average person to follow, uh, then I think then the members of the legislature should be willing to follow those laws, too. I don't think there's, there's you know, that, again, going back to common sense, that makes sense to me. All right. Uh, last call goes to Linda in Port Gibson. Good morning, Linda. What do you have for us today? Hello. Hi, Linda. Yeah. You're on the air. Yeah, I'm from Port Gibson. Uh, I would like to see a law in place to uh, make it standardized uh, for standardized prices. In other words, lower medical well, medicine costs, not so much medical, but uh, pharmaceutical costs for uh, medicines because paying three and four hundred dollars for thirty-day pills is outrageous. Yeah, um, I understand that. I mean, my grandmother pays a lot for uh, different medicines, and and anybody dealing with uh, ailments. Uh, Professor Gershon, any thoughts on that? We have about a minute left. Well, you know, that's one of those things. Healthcare reform would also take into account the cost of medications and, and uh, you know, big pharmaceutical companies make a lot of money on those medications. And, uh, you know, uh, there are people that have to take them for a whole lifetime. So I think that's a good proposal as well. All right. Uh, Linda, thank you so much for your call. We really do appreciate it. Uh, any closing thoughts, Professor Gershon? We got a lot of awesome proposals today. So uh, did, what, what are the possibility? Did, did any stick out to you as some that could actually be doable in the future? Well, I think certainly the flag uh, issue and uh, Citizens United, there's a lot of impetus, impetus to say, hey, corporations should not have First Amendment rights uh, and be able to influence elections. So I think there are people who... Uh, might see those change. But I just appreciate these calls today were really insightful, thoughtful, and uh, yes. it was a great show. I enjoyed it. Oh, and one more email. Uh, this one is from Wes. He says, fog light regulations. Many drivers in Mississippi are driving with fog lights on at all times while the headlights are on. Many fog lights are not aimed correctly and are blinding to other drivers, possibly contributing to accidents. So uh, just a, an observation for those on the road. That's from Wes. Thank you for that suggestion, Wes, and for everybody who called in today. We appreciate it. If you didn't get to call, you can send an email always at any time to legal terms at mpbonline.org. Professor Gershon, thank you for being on today. And uh, our call screener was Sam Wells, I'm assuming. No, who was it, Jonas? Kevin Farrell was our call screener, and Jonas Adams was our board operator. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Coming up next, Relatively Speaking, a part of the Southern Remedies series. We'll be back next Tuesday at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.